Anyway, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. Now, I've been preaching a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and you can tell we have not made it too far. We've gone through, we're going to go all the way through chapter 7. It's been a challenge for me, because anytime I do a series like this, I like to, I know what I've known from the past, but I like to come to the text with a fresh look. So in other words, I go back to it with different sets of eyes, but uh, you should know that it's never, uh, it's within a certain framework of theology. And so we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount up to this point, and Jesus talked about salvation. He talked about the basics of discipleship in verses uh, 2 through 12. And in the latter part of the, those verses, Jesus talked about persecution, the fact that we will be persecuted for following Christ. That is a fact. But Jesus said, great is your reward in heaven. And then in verse 13, Jesus says, okay, I don't want you to separate yourself from the world. I want you to go out and be in the world. In fact, you are the salt of the earth. You are a city set on a hill. And people need to see your good works. That's us. That's those of us who believe in Christ. They need to see your good works so that they will glorify God. That is, as we live our Christian lives, people can see us. And they know that there's a difference about us. And maybe I was in the army for 12 years, and there was more than 10 times soldiers came up to me and said, Sergeant Frazier, why are you like you are? I mean, you're not like other sergeants that I've seen. And I have the opportunity to share the gospel. And so these are, these are points that Jesus is trying to make. Just because we're saved... It doesn't inoculate us from the world. And at the same time, we're supposed to be in the world, living our lives to please God, and ultimately, people may come to saving faith in Christ. Last week, we drilled down a little bit. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. And we realized that Jesus is the telos, the end of the law. That is, the law and the prophets depending on which scholar you study, 100 to 400 uh, prophecies were fulfilled for Christ. The law and the prophets pointed to Jesus. He is the telos. He is the goal of the law. And Jesus said, I come, and this is where the Pharisees probably had some issues, uh, to say the least. He said, I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. And that is, when we come to saving faith in Christ, we have obeyed the law, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. And then verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness, Jesus speaking to a multitude of people here, probably a couple thousand. And he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I said last week Jesus didn't say the scribes and the Pharisees were getting into heaven. We talked about that you have to have even more 
than what the Pharisees and the scribes can offer. The Pharisees and scribes themselves do not meet the requirement to get into heaven. So what Jesus does here on the Sermon on the Mount is he levels the playing field. Nobody deserves heaven. Nobody. Nobody in this room, nobody listening by Facebook deserves heaven. It is only by the grace of God that we go to heaven. You do realize that, right? It's only by Christ's finished work on the cross that we get into heaven. It, I have nothing to bring. I have nothing to offer. You have nothing to offer other than when you trust in Jesus Christ, Christ fulfilled the law, and you are imputed with Christ's righteousness. And therefore, you are fit for the kingdom of heaven. So this isn't, this is on one hand, this is on one hand, we work because of our salvation. Not we work to keep our salvation. That's, that's a big paradigm shift. That's a big shift. The issue here is when you love somebody, you work for them. You do things for them. And here, now Jesus, I said that Jesus has been methodically going through the Sermon on the Mount. And he has been. But what Jesus is getting ready to do is he is getting ready to take an external law. I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt and listed all of these commands from all the way back to Exodus 19 all the way through Exodus 24. He is going to now talk about that law, that external law. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to internalize the law. Now, what Jesus talks about here today is really a prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 30, 31, 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write my law on their hearts. There's no doubt the Pharisees and the scribes believed that they were obeying the law. There's no doubt because of what Jesus says here. But Jesus does something that's masterful. And of course, Jesus is our master. So anything he does is masterful. But Jesus mentions here grudges. He mentions grudges. And he begins by talking about murder. And you have heard it said, and that's one of Jesus' big phrases throughout the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, but I tell you. So Jesus now is taking an external law, you shall not murder, and now he's going to internalize it for those that are listening to this sermon. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That is the sixth commandment. That is Mount Sinai when God gave the law to Moses. He said, you shall not murder. That is clearly anchored in scriptures. The Pharisees and the scribes would be at this point saying, yes, I don't have a problem with this. I don't have an issue because it, God spoke to Moses. Moses wrote it down. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus puts the basic command up first. And then he expands on the meaning of that word murder. I know when you guys get calls to homicides, 
you don't go because people liked each other. You go because somebody didn't like somebody, they, they took drugs, and they responded in anger. And Jesus is going to say, here's the command, you shall not murder. And then starts with murder. And this, this word, phanuo, the, the Greek word here, phanuo, listen to this. This means to deprive a person of life. Now, this opens a Pandora's box. Pastor, what does this mean for us in the New Testament day? Well, last week, if you were here, I told you that we're Old Testament Christians. We're, 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 we're saved specifically in the New Testament era because now we have Christ who died on the cross to pay for our sin. But in a sense, we don't just throw out the Old Testament as if it doesn't matter. We don't offer animal sacrifices. We don't do ceremonial rituals like they did then. But the fact is, we don't, we don't negate the Old Testament. So we are New Testament Christians, but New Testament Christians in the sense that God puts the Holy Spirit into our hearts. The day that you trusted in Christ was the day the Holy Spirit came into your heart. Acts 1. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So Jesus starts here by talking about depriving a person of life. I'm going to get political here in just, in just a minute. And I think it's because sermons should not live in a vacuum. They have to apply to daily lives. Um, before God gave the law in Genesis 9-6, Whoever sheds a man's blood, by his blood shall he be shed. For we are made in the image of God. So if murder is taking the life, which we'll get into a couple of issues here, one of them, as I thought about this, was this. Abortion. Abortion is taking a life. It is. When you get down to it, the moment somebody says, I want to have an abortion, they are saying that this is a life. This is taking someone's life. This is also something that needs to be said because we're grace-laden. I've known people that have had abortions and they are extremely, extremely Repent of, repenting of that sin. So God can, listen, listen, listen to me. Those of you that are watching by Facebook, God can forgive any sin. That's the God that we worship. That's the God that we love. That's why we're here. That's why you're watching today uh, by Facebook and streaming on our website. But really, for our culture today, we have to deal with these issues. We have to deal with them. I've, I've, and and I, I really felt, I just felt God leading me. When, when we are out in the world and somebody mentions that they've had an abortion, do not be rough on them. You need to try to love them and, and, and show them that you care for them. And, and I hear Christians give the same responses to the abortion issue. We are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. That is absolutely true. Um, he formed you in your mother's womb. That is absolutely true, but that does not talk about the abortion issue for an unbelieving world. Did you know that God talked about 
in the realm he talked about abortion in fact you need to write this verse down that I'm getting ready to give you this is an exodus by the way where Jesus is quoting if people are fighting and they hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely but there is no serious injury the offender will be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows but you notice but if there is serious injury you take life for life if God says that we're wonderfully and fearfully made in his image then that includes those who are still in the womb this is the greatest verse we have as believers to counter a culture that uh, abortion on demand, it's, it's atrocious. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for burn. He's saying if that baby is in any way harmed, this is what you are to do in response to that. So yes, uh, God in utero, God loves that child, and that child has every right to be born. That's where I stand. And let the cards fall where they may. But, but more importantly here, as we get back to the text now, we'll be liable, in a case, which means guilty of having done a wrong. The word judgment is creases, which is the court of justice. Now the question arises for us today, what about is, is all murder wrong? Well, the Old Testament provided cities of refuge for those who accidentally killed somebody. They could run to those cities of refuge and they could find refuge. So there, there's all kinds of, of things here that I think we need to address. What about a just war I realize that there's those across the aisle uh, maybe other denominations they're anti-war I'm anti-war with the exception of because God established governments Romans 13 that we obey the government and the governments that have that exist have been established by God and therefore God gave the judge gave governments to protect those who are doing right and to punish those who are doing wrong we could not stand by idly, although it did take a bigger act. We could not stand by idly and watch the execution of millions of people. So there are things called just war. God used war to punish the nation of Israel. God also turned nation, uh, Israel against its enemies and defeated them. So there is the issue, because if you just say, well, there's, that's murder then you've got an Old Testament dilemma because God obviously used war to bring about either bring nation of Israel to repentance or allow Israel to be victorious. I told you I was going to get a little political, sorry. But when I saw that word murder, it just got, it opened up and I said, God, what can I tell my people to help them be able to answer tough questions in life? Now getting back to the issue here, the Pharisees and scribes believed because they did not murder that they were good. John Stott says this in his commentary. The scribes and the, and the Pharisees, absolutely right, were expect, uh, evidently seeking to restrict the application of the Sixth Commandment to the deed of murder alone, to the act of spilling human blood and homicide. 
they've done that. They, they haven't killed anybody, so they've honored this commandment. If they refrain from this, they considered that they had kept the commandment, and this apparently is what the rabbis were teaching the people. But Jesus will expand on this. Now he goes to murder. The question is, where does murder come from? Murder comes from anger. Now Jesus said, yes, this is the commandment, you shall not murder, but it comes from somewhere. Where does it come from? It doesn't come because we like people. It comes because we lose control of our faculties and we get angry. But I say to you, and listen to this, it's very important for believers and even the culture in which we seek to witness, to be a salt of the earth and the light of the world. But I say to you, Jesus is now taking the murder commandment and he's transforming it inward. You see what he's doing here? Masterful. Jesus was the master teacher. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Jesus is equating here anger at a brother with murder. It goes much further than the command. And Jesus is drilling down Equating it. Angry is orgizo, which means to become furious and angry at somebody. That in and of itself is a form of murder. That's what Jesus is talking about. He puts it strategically right underneath. So have you ever been furious with a brother or sister in Christ? Then according to this and according to our Lord and Savior, this is problematic. And by the way, Jesus wasn't the only one. He was, he was the one that said it, obviously. But he wasn't the only New Testament writer that equated it. In First uh, John 3.15, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life. In other words, when we leave the cross, we become meek. That was covered in verses uh, uh, chapter 5 verses 1 through 12 we leave meek at this point we don't have that within us we don't have anger within us and so we need to deal with that and then Jesus drills down a little bit further so if you're angry with your brother you're guilty of the sixth commandment according to Jesus now listen to what he says whoever insults his brother is liable to the council, that is to a, a, a Israeli council that would determine what punishments to. And this word insults is apon, which means to use derogatory language such as idiot. See, you could see mostly everybody going out there in the audience going, I violated this. I have violated this. It gets worse. The word brother, Adelphos, that can mean a follower of Christ, and that can mean your neighbor. The person next door who does not know Jesus Christ. Some scholars argue both points. 
when there is an argument for both points and I am uncertain within myself, then I say this to the congregation. I say that if this is the neighbor and the brother in Christ, then you, in, you include both. Think of it this way. If you can't get along with your neighbor and you're insulting them and you're saying all kinds of things about them, and then you're going to turn around and try to reach them for the, for the gospel. That's very hard to do. And same way within the body of Christ. None of us should be angry with any of us because we're brothers in Christ. We have been forgiven. Our sins have been washed away. We're, we're to get along with one another. And so Jesus... Uh, Scholars spend way too much time on little words at sometimes. And I just go, whenever there's division, I take the middle path and bring them both in and say it can apply to both. Craig Bloomberg, one of my favorite scholars, tries, he makes this long argument that it only applies to believers. And then I, I caught him at the end walking back a little bit on that word because he realizes it's a, it's a tricky word, Adelphos. It's a very tricky word. He writes this, Jesus does not thereby imply that it is okay to be angry against those who are not believers. <laughs> he stretched it a little too far in his argument. He applies his injunction first to those whom anger is, is most inappropriate. That's the body of Christ. We should never call each other idiots or derogatory language at all. We should avoid that. It is particularly bad for Christians to get angry at other Christians who have themselves been spared God's wrath. Can I get an amen? Amen. Restraining one's wrath against a fellow believer is a virtue desperately needed in our culture today. You go out these doors, I'm going to tell you this world is angry. And I'll tell you why they're angry. They're angry because of the government shutdown. They're angry because they lost their jobs. We live in a hostile environment. We're supposed to stand apart and say, you know what? I'm going to let people see Jesus. I'm not going to live like that. And whoever says, you fool, this is in verse 22, and whoever says, you fool, is liable to the hell of fire. Now, I've talked about Jesus stretching things. I'm going to leave the tension here. There's sometimes Jesus uses hyperbole. Why do you worry about the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log sticking out of your head? That's hyperbole. I, I think some, you just, sometimes you need to leave the tension there. Whoever says you fool, raka. That's the, that's the Greek word here, raka. But it's also the word moros, which is where we get our word moron from. So he's saying here, in the literal translation, unwise, devoid of understanding, and otherwise stupid. Yeah, we got to be careful, brothers and sisters, of our language. And when we're on the highways and byways of life, please don't let this be you. <laughs> I will admit, because I'm preaching today, I've done that. And it's wrong. It's not right. We need to watch it. Road rage is real. And we've probably all done it. 
we need to avoid it. So if we hold grudges, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Holding grudges. Sometimes grudges can lead to murder, which should never be the case in the body of Christ. But then what Jesus says next is rather startling. It's rather sobering what Jesus says next. Please catch it. God will not accept our worship. God will not accept our worship. Listen to what he says. So if you are offering your, your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, this is something that you have caused. You, you see what Jesus is doing? <laughs> you, you cannot murder somebody physically, but boy, you can murder them with your mouth. James says, the tongue is a little thing, but boy, it can destroy an entire forest. We got to be careful. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Offering is prospero, which means in the presence of somebody. In this case, no doubt, in this case, here was the court of the priest. A worshiper could come through here and lay their offering right here before the priest. But back in here, you have the holies of holies, which is God. So this, this word offering means in the presence of not only the priest, but also of God. You know, when you came to worship today, you do realize that God is here. And I'm the pastor. I just happen to be the pastor. This is where God has put me. So you have come in the presence of not only God, but God's minister. So if you get ready to offer something and you realize, you know, there's something not right over here, you're supposed to leave it. I'm going to tell you a story that I'm not proud of. Just to show you that it can, you know, anybody is, it's anybody. I remember when I was in Bible college. I'll never forget it. Now, I have forgotten what the argument was about. I had a horrific argument with a sister in, in Christ. It was in class. I called her a fundamentalist something or other. And she called me a liberal gracer that needs to get saved. Something like that. I don't know what it was. I don't think Audrey and the girls were with me that night, but I, it was Poplar Springs Baptist Church. Steve Patton was the pastor there. He had brought in a guest speaker who was preaching a revival. I walked through the doors. I was still fuming. During the sermon, during the sermon, I, I can't remember. It could have been this verse. The pastor, who was quite loud, that's the way they did it back then. They, they screamed a lot. The pastor gets down. Don't worry, I'm going to stay six feet. He gets down. They had wooden pews. He gets down and he leans over the pew like this. And he looks and points at me directly. 
And he said, if you have something against your brother or sister, you need to leave and go make it right. I was like, why is he looking at me? <laughs> I haven't done anything wrong. <laughs> that pastor has no idea what he did for me. I think it was God. 120 people in a room, and he happens to come and points right at me, knowing that I had just had a blow up that day. At the invitation, I got up and I left. And I went, and I apologized. I apologized for my actions. And I went back the next night, and I thought, go ahead, say anything you want to with me. I'm good now. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know what? Yeah, when, when we come through those church doors, let's, rem let's keep things real. Let's... Look at what we've got going on in our lives and double-check it. Jesus goes on to say, First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Reconciled is doulos omai. Doulos omai. And that means to make peace with someone. So, let me just say something. If there's somebody in your life that you're angry with today, it's for you too that are watching. If there's somebody in your life that you're angry with today, please get it straight. Anger can chew you up. Anger can cause you to, sl to lose sleep. Have you ever tried to go to bed angry at somebody? You toss and you turn, you run stuff in your mind. It's easier just to go to the person and say, look, I'm sorry for my actions. I'm sorry what I did. I shouldn't have acted that way. Um, work it out. That's what we do as a body of Christ. We work it out with, with one another. And to quote my friend, I know this is the third time in the sermon, but Craig Bloomberg says this, first he envisions a, worship, a worshiper who is called to place interpersonal reconciliation above correct ritual worship. You notice this. Jesus didn't say, go ahead with the sacrifice, do it, and then go. Jesus said, settle it first, then come back, because I'm the God of peace. So if there's somebody in your life that there's a problem with, try to fix it. But he also says this, of course, we cannot guarantee the other person will agree to reconcile with us. But as Paul writes, as long as it depends on you, try to be, live at peace with all people. So I'm sure that there's people that come to church with that, like me, coming to church, still thinking about it while the preacher's preaching, and then all of a sudden God gave me an illustration. Use me as an illustration. I'm not perfect, brothers and sisters. I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. I sin and I make mistakes. And Dr. Windsor told us a long time ago, the quicker your congregation knows that, the more they'll understand you. 
And then lastly, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, financial disputes. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, that is the judge that would preside over that case, and the judge to the guard, in other words, the judge says, okay, you're wrong. I'm going to transfer you over to the guard. He's going to take you and put you into prison. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, that's another word that Jesus, a phrase that Jesus loves, truly I say to you, you'll be put in prison. And not only that, you'll never get out until the last penny's paid. So if we owe somebody something, we should pay that. At very minimum, we should try to work it out. Jesus is saying, look, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But let me tell you and expand what that means. You see this, right? I want you to make sure you see this. It's not just the murder. There's several ways to murder people. We can murder them by calling them all kinds of names, by uh, cheating people out of what is rightfully theirs. Jesus just simply expands on this commandment and said this is an inward deal. So this is what we need to do. If you're holding a grudge against somebody, please get it discharged today. Just say, you know, go to the person, talk to them, tell them this is how I'm feeling and work it out. Easy to work it out. And then apologize. It takes a bigger person to apologize. When, you've, when you know that you went over the bounds, I know if I go beyond this blue line, nobody will see me because I'll go right into the screen. But we go over that line sometimes. That's when we have to use the words that I know we have trouble saying, I'm sorry, I should not have done that. I should not have said that. I went over. That's not really who I am. I get it in the heat of the moment stuff is said and but Jesus says this isn't Pastor Mike this is Jesus if you come to worship which these worshipers would go leave their sacrifice leave it there and say priest I'll be right back I've got to go make something right so when we come to worship our hearts should be ready to sing to him and praise him and glorify him with our lives and like I said nobody's perfect but we can make things right 